After eight games, the league is over. Manchester City have one hand on the trophy. But Arsenal are top of the league, I hear you say. Anything can happen. <laughs> Not this year, folks. The addition of Erling Haaland to an already dominant Manchester City side is the final nail in the 2022-23 season. Erling Haaland is quite simply a beast of a player. Welcome to the big kickoff football show in a week where Manchester United bottled it in the Manchester Derby. Erling Haaland is breaking all sorts of records we didn't even know about and Liverpool stumble again. Is Klopp losing his mojo? Well, we'll have a little talk about that. My name's Roy Shanahan and I'm delighted to be joined by David Bugle and Neil Dobbs from thebigkickoff.com. Dave, let's just start. Pure and simple, your thoughts on Erling Haaland. Yeah, but as I said in jest, and I mean it in jest before anyone is crazy enough to do it, but yeah, ring Tanya Hard and get an iron bar. It's the only way to stop him <laughs> at this stage. Idiots are going to try and be clever about what they're going to do to stop him. At the minute, there, is, there isn't anything. He's a bully, but in a good way. He's so strong, physically bundling players out of the way, pushing them out of the way, going, this is my area, and you're just, you're just you're, like, this is my home, and you're just dwelling beside me. Just get out of my way and do what I do. Like, Martinez went through the back of him, um, not necessarily maliciously, near the end of the game. And Hallam was up and 10 yards past him before Martinez even got up off the ground. He doesn't, he, like anyone else, would be on the ground for 99% of players. And he just doesn't, he's just so strong. And then, of course, the, the, the like obviously the hat trick, but the way he provided for the goal for, for Foden, I was like, oh, geez, he can pass too. This is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, um, as much as I love it, you're kind of going, yeah, like as we're saying it jokingly, but. Really, are, are anyone going to stop City? Like, Arsenal are going to have to be perfect, you know, a la Liverpool for a couple of years, and it still mightn't be good enough, and they lose the league by a point. Like, this is like City are going to do it again, and credit to them. But considering the fact that they let Jesus go, Zinchenko go, and Sterling go, and knowing full well who's coming in, that just shows you keeping it fresh, keeping it, um, making a little tweak, and yeah, phenomenal. It's just a joy to watch. Like that was the first full ninety minutes, and it was just it was a joy to watch that I watched of, of City this year, and and, this, and they're only getting going. You know, I know, that's I know. It's the it's the horrible thing about it, Neil. <laughs> when, when you look at the uh, Manchester City team, it's it, and look at the Manchester United team that they played against. It's chalk and cheese. It Manchester City aren't just good because they've got good players. They're good because they've got good hardworking players. Yeah, they do. You know, and I, I'll add to that. My player that I love to hate is Bernardo Silva. There's just something about him that I really dislike. But you got to admire the way he works so hard for the team. He works for the cause. And he controls the game. Like, he kept Calvin Phillips out of that team for so long. And now he's got injured. It didn't matter. Rodri was missing. Didn't matter. He just get in there, dictated the play. You can't get near him. Do you ever have one of them players of training where you just, they drop the shoulder and they leave you on your arse and you can't get near them day after day. And Bernardo plays that. He's like the pantomime villain when I watch him. I'm like, go on, someone get him. And they just can't get near him. And, you know, City are littered with players like that. You see the guys that come off the bench, even Mares at the end there, and, you know, he's dropping his shoulder and going by players. They're just, they pick the right players. Pep gets the right attitude out of them, and they really put in a serious shift on that field. And, I mean, for 45 minutes, they were just on a different planet in that game. 
When you look at the records, Dave, I said the records I didn't even know about, the first third hat-trick, I suppose, yeah. of, a, of a Premier League player. Eight games it's taken him to get them. And I think the, the record was, was it Michael Owen? 40, yeah, 40-odd. 43, 48, something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's just blowing stuff out, out, out of water altogether. He looks like he's going to break every record that's going, bar, barring he gets injured. Yeah, there was another one tonight. I, I kind of forgot about the Monday Night Football and I just got it as they were starting to talk about him and they were talking about the top strikers and their first 100 games because he's hit 100 games now and he's 103 goals. I could be wrong by a couple of goals. But anyway, they looked at um, who they would class as the top strikers in major um, European leagues because they couldn't ignore Ronaldo and Romario, so they had to bring in the Dutch league. Now, a couple of the top four or five are from the Dutch league, like Van Roy, Ronaldo and Romario, because that's where they started. But like, he's miles away. Like Messi was like in the 30s or 40s. Ronaldo was in the 20s. Like, and obviously we've seen the heights that they've hit. But you're talking Raul, Scherer, like the very best of the best. And he's light years ahead of them all. Absolutely light years. Apart from Ronaldo and Romario. But let's be honest, they were in the Dutch league. Now we all know how good they are. So they all would have been up there, but that's the type of player, or that's the type of numbers you needed. You needed ringers in the Dutch league in order to be close to him. Like, and he's in the German league. Obviously, there's a bit of Austrian, and now look at what he's doing in the Premier League. 14, 15 goals already. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Antonio's like going to retire. 100, 102 goals, lads. They're coming. <laughs> it's just, you know. So it's is it Neil? When you look at Manchester City, is it? Probably their best season, if not the best chance they have to win in Europe, to win this Champions League. If if Holland, we said this before, if Holland can't do it for them, who can? Yeah, now listen, it doesn't have to be done in the first year with Haaland, but I mean, he definitely improves their chances. His, his, it's not. I think he had three shots on target, three goals in the weekend, and then his assist as well. So they were they were joking, saying he'd more touches in the first 30 minutes than he did in the first three games, you know. But it doesn't matter for him. He just puts the ball in the net. He's in the right place at the right time. Every run he seems to make, the ball just seems to land on him. You know, it ain't by accident, let's be honest. It's just... It's skill, determination, right place at the right time. So, um, yeah, this is their year. This is it's got. To, they've got to have that feel good factor about themselves, and a little air of invincibility. Now, obviously, City when they come a cropper in the previous years, they've always had that little banana skin. Last year against Madrid was the prime example when they absolutely had them in the palm of their hand, and somehow managed to let them out of that game. So, you know, did they learn from that? I'm sure they did. But this has got to be a team built to get the best out of the best striker. And I mean, they're setting it up perfectly, uh, albeit early in the year. But don't forget, he doesn't even have a World Cup. Like, he can go off and rest himself over the winter and then comes back <laughs> in January. The, did you see the, the go. funny Twitter yesterday where this is what Erling Haaland's going to be doing during the World Cup? And it was the, it was <laughs> the montage of the Drago. What me about that was all the comments underneath what film is this? I was like, oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> we're, 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 we're your kids. <laughs> um, okay, so when you you look at, and again, it is he is the missing piece in the, in the jigsaw for me because when you have someone who can pass a ball like De Bruyne, now he has someone who runs. It's not only, there was a pass 
from Haaland out to De Bruyne out to the right it was just over the halfway line he passed it out to him and he went from 0 to 60 in no time to get into the box he didn't even get the ball but it just showed the pure determination of him wanting to get into that box now when we talk about pure determination Manchester United Neil had absolutely zero but you do have to ask a question there was no effort but was there a game plan? I'd love to know what the game plan was if there was it just it just seemed like a bridge too far for them always like they were beaten by the first minute they nearly can the Grealish you know Grealish ran at the fullback with Dallo all of a sudden he's on a yellow card they just seemed to be on the back foot Haaland get in behind with one shot and all of a sudden Man United dropped 15-20 yards and it was like it just sucked whatever game plan or confidence or whatever they thought that they were going to do. You know, it's that old saying, you know, we're punching them out, you get to figure out who you are in life. It was just like they suffered a body blow and it just drained all the confidence out of their display. And for 20 to 25 minutes, they were absolutely chasing shadows. I seen Paul's goals during the week was kind of having a little crack at the two wingers, um, Sancho and Anthony saying, I remember the days when the wingers used to give the fullbacks a bit of a hand. And I remember watching that and thinking to myself, Grealish is running at the low just free freely and it's something we've criticized Grealish for not doing but he'd no cover there's nothing there and all of a sudden it became very very apparent that Man United just didn't have the bottle for the fight you know and I know everyone alluded to it at halftime Roy Keane got stuck into them but it was so strange for a derby and let's be honest Man United have had a massive gap between them and Manchester City in the last couple of years, say five years. But even when the likes of Solskjaer was there, he got a good, you know, he got a good reaction of them in the Manchester derby. It brought out a different side in them, maybe an ugly side. But I didn't see any of that yesterday. It was just men against boys and City absolutely destroyed them. Was it the right team, Dave? Because when Manchester United used to play against the the better footballing teams, when when they were playing Arsenal in the in in the heyday with Alex Ferguson, Ferguson used to play the likes of John O'Shea, G. Sun Park. He might have played full backs in winger yeah, positions. Man, yeah, think, yeah. It, uh, you know, take out the kind of more more of the flair player and uh, work hard with with quality focused players. Is that something that Ten Hag is going to have to start looking at? Because there's a few of these players who really and truly are are, are attack, 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 and, and there's no actually defensive brain in their head. Yeah, because there's rumours coming out, obviously, a little bit now, and then maybe it's just tongues wagging about, like, why, why, what, like, who bought Casemiro? Because why didn't he come in? Like, the midfield is um, McTominay, who, like, you know, if you believe... Uh, United fans they can't stand the man then you've Ericsson and, and Fernandez. there's no meeting there at all and you can kid yourself because McTominay doesn't have it either um, but Casemiro is more the defensive midfielder who I would like to think he'd be a very possession based so he could be able to be in that hotbed and hold that ball for a second or two quicker to feed Anthony and Rashford and uh, Sancho who have pace to maybe counter attack and try and get that ball from the back line who were not protected but also they were gone they, it, like as Neil said like Everyone has a game plan to get punched in the face. And those two centre-halves got punched in the face within the first minute. And then they bottled it. Right? Whether you like it or not, the two of them bottled it. They did not want to know. And the lads made it out that way uh, tonight on, on Sky Sports. Go watch the videos. Where as soon as uh, it looked like there was a counter-attack, they were already running backwards without even looking where he was. They, they, they crapped themselves. Um, but that's what's it's surprising. Now, I kind of half understand what he's trying to say about Ronaldo as well. Why, why bring him on a 4-5-0? It's a bit of an insult. I get that. But... 
maybe after two 0 three 0 maybe make the make a bold move and say right this isn't working or whatever. But um, I'd be interested to see how how true this Casemiro thing is because you know there was no anchor, there was no kind of um, protection for me for that front line considering how dangerous uh, City are and. Yeah, what's the game plan? Scratch me head, I'll be honest. Yeah, no, because I couldn't figure it out at all myself. Like, Casemiro's been brought in for 70 million, even mm. if he's not his. Scott McTominay has... I, I don't mind Scott McTominay, but yeah. in that game, he was non-existent. And there's a lot of games where he doesn't take the game by the scruff of the neck. You can't put Ericsson in beside him, you know, yeah. to try and take a scruff of the neck. Ericsson, when you're playing the... the, the we call them the the lower half teams of yeah. of the league. You'll get away with that because he's quality on, on the ball and and he'll pass through teams and what have you. But when you're playing a team who's gonna, you know, cut you like butter through a knife, you've got to be solid. And and you think Casemiro's going to be playing the World Cup for Brazil? He's a centre midfield partnership with Fred in the in the World Cup team. So why isn't he playing? It's 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 crazy for me to to think yeah. about that. Why isn't he playing someone out on the right wing who's going to be working up and down that line? You know, why, why isn't it maybe Dallow who's playing on, on, on the right-hand mm-hmm. side and, and, and have another full-back in? You know, Wambasaka, who would be a a decent man-for-man player, but a defensive-minded player. I just, I can't see, Neil, why the, the tactics were the same for this game as it was for the other games that he had won and won easily. Yeah, but the other games as well, Roy, like, let's be honest, even from the Liverpool game, remember he brought them in, did all the extra training, and it was that whole kind of siege mentality that went on. And Man United came out of the blocks 100 mile an hour. The intensity was there. You know, everyone was pressing on the front foot. Everyone was fighting for the cause. This was literally the complete opposite. And it, and they were making references to the Brentford game where they were they were losing at halftime as well. And it just felt wrong. And I'm, I'm looking at the subs here and I'm thinking to myself, you know, in hindsight, which is obviously a great thing, but you could have had Fred and Casemiro in there. Like three months ago, Casemiro was playing, anchoring in this in the final of the Champions League and kept Liverpool out scoreless. He's a guy with experience. It's exactly, literally exactly what you bought that player for, to show a guy that can flex his muscle when the going gets tough in the big, big games in a cauldron. And again, I'll say obviously hindsight, but when you look back, you're playing in the, in in. Manchester City's home ground and you're playing Ericsson as a as a six or two sixes with him and McTominay absolutely makes no sense then you have Bruno Fernandes which his only contribution I've seen in 90 minutes was when he went up whinging at the referee when uh, Varane was on the ground over his ankle being injured and then he cried off because he was like that's three that's enough for me so you're 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 missing characters in there but on paper maybe he's thinking oh yeah Ericsson McTominay Fernandes I've got something. But in reality, I mean, two out of three of them were absolutely non-existent at the best of times. Yeah, and Dave, you're probably going to say it, Bruno Fernandes probably hasn't done it for a while. And I can't yeah. see why, if anything, you're to put Casemiro in there with McTominay. He might guide McTominay, but you're putting Ericsson in where Fernandes is. Like, if, if they had a quick fire round with all the teammates and asking the same questions, and they said, like, which teammate would you not bring to your house for a game night I'd say everyone and the mother would say Bruno Fernandez. I'd say he's the type <laughs> that will topple over the board and go nuts because that's all I remember straight up to the referee's ear and you're like listen mate you're hiding you're hiding again your performance is not good enough and you're taking out on the ref you're like you know roll up your sleeves and get on with the game you know um, but that's across the board it's easy to pick on him alone like as I said literally when I, within the first few minutes 
it was game over, couldn't string a pass together. Then, as I said, the lack of effort and intensity, Neil's bang on the money. But um, yeah, Fernandez, like one or two others, like I think it's I think they've been lucky with, with their run in the sense that um they can't hide behind the fact that this is City because the level of performance was distinctly less than what you've seen against the likes of Arsenal and Liverpool regardless of the result. But Dave, uh, if Crystal Palace can go and put in a first half performance and come out 2-0 on top, everyone knows well, it's very hard to beat City, but at least yeah. give them a game. Well, sure, Neville, he probably said it tongue-in-cheek, but he was on Instagram Live or whatever beside uh, Tingo and we're going to do him today because he probably seen the back line and said, we can get at these. But the problem is they couldn't even hold on, hold on to the ball for two seconds to get mm. there. Why? Because they were outworked. So a lot of fans probably would have rubbed their hands and went, geez, if we could just get that down a little bit, get Ake and uh, Akanji, we have a shot here. You know, Cancelo's back. They're like, well, you never know. Like, there's the new... And, of course, they never even got a look in. And that was down to the, the whole 11. And uh, that's what's what, what was... And, and I'm going to have to say, I'm not one for having a go at that manager, especially when he's only in the door. But you, I think he has to hold his hand up and say, listen... I got this wrong because my, my the way I laid this t- team out was no way ineffective in any way whatsoever. If he wanted, if he thought that it wasn't going to game plan, why didn't he change things in the first half? Why didn't he just take people off? Say, listen, you're not doing the job. Like this is the way it is. Yeah, it's take like them off. Double substitution after 25 minutes. You're not doing the job. You're not doing the job. Yeah. Off you go. That's it. Be ruthless. Enough, you know. Yeah, uh, crazy. So uh, he's a lot of, Ten Hag has a lot of work to do there, um, and it still needs probably to, to weed out a couple of players. But uh, he he really does need to make sure that they know he's serious about what he says he's serious about. Now another manager who's kind of needs to start getting a little bit serious is uh, Klopp Neil and. Well, what's going on? What is going on? Is he losing his mojo, or are the players losing his mojo? Mojo, or what's happening? Yeah, I have a little extract here, I guess, of a of a stat bomb, um, where Liverpool are making this season their one 1.7k fewer, um, being out uh, miles brand than their opponent. Maximum seven, average 3.4k per match. So after six games last year, they were ahead of everybody by 11k. This year they're behind everybody. So they're literally been outrun. They're been outfought. If you watch the games this year, which we obviously have, there's been eight or nine of them now. There's a the tempo is gone. They're they're making I think a hundred more passes when they used to be more direct. They used to have Mane and Salah or whoever it was up front making runs in behind. Salah looks a shell of himself. It's too many passes, not enough penetration. But the biggest thing for me is that when they're losing the ball, they're not quick enough to recover. They're not the the Gen Gen press that they always brought in. Klopp is the godfather of it, etc. It, it's just gone. Um, the likes of Fabino, who is your go-to guy in the midfield to win that ball back really, really quick. It, it's like his legs are gone. There's something lacking in him. Henderson doesn't seem to be able to carry the torch. Thiago had a cameo there when he came back two weeks ago and he looked as bad um, on Saturday morning as well. So there's something not right in the engine room. There's something not right in the legs and it's translating onto the pitch. And what's happening then is the knock-on effect is that they're vulnerable at the back because every time a team turns them, they just look like they're going to do damage. Um, it reminds me of the season where he had all the injuries and the centre-backs were out, that teams were able to get back at them, get at their back four a lot more easier than they used to. If you go back to the year where they lost Genie and Aldum, it kind of rings a familiar bell that you've lost your engine room. You've, you know, Liverpool never got out-muscled in the midfield 
with Wijnaldum, Henderson and Fabinho. It just never happened. They never got overworked and they bully teams. And that's gone now. And it's the likes of Harvey Elliott, Carvalho, Thiago don't seem to be able to fill them same boots for me anyway. Yeah, we'll be talking about uh, another team who have a decent front three um, in Spurs, but are a little bit shaky um, throughout the season, in all fairness, because they haven't really played uh, amazing football. But Dave, when you look at the likes of Trent gets it in the neck, uh, Van Dijk probably not getting it in the neck as much because he's the golden child, but it's starting to creep out. Mo Salah, as Neil said in his notes uh, earlier on, there's a few players who who aren't doing the things that they were doing before. Yeah, a little bit, um, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, Salah, I, I'm, I'm still a bit reserved on that one. Uh, that front three is a mess in the sense that we don't know what it is yet between suspensions, injuries, and this, that, and you're even Carvalho played at the weekend, which scratched people's head. Now, he's saying the doctor said that the other two lads couldn't start. Um, so who's the consistent front three? I think if that settles down, you might see it, because let's be honest, um, you know, there was a lot of creation from Manny as well for Salah. It's not just Salah doing it all on his own, especially in the last couple of seasons. And with Salah kind of wanting the assists kind of thing last year as well, he's very much kind of in the in the forward sense of things, became a bit more of a team player in that sense and wasn't quite as greedy. And I just think that might sort itself out quite quick if they settle the front three. But I definitely think it stems from the from the midfield three. The, the engine's not there. Henderson's in that golden era, like Gerrard, like Keane, and the very best of the very best eventually they have to sit and do the hold and roll because the legs, they can't cover the ground the way they used to. Mm. Liverpool and their pomp was the year of losing the league by a point. Remember, they won the last 10 in the city and then the year they won the league. They were relentless. They were everywhere. And he was kind of almost right back a lot. I remember a lot of covering of that position because that's what they could do because they had the legs to cover and Wijnaldum was doing a lot of the work as well because as, as good as Wijnaldum was a protective ball, his, his engine was phenomenal. But because of that, um, they're not quite getting the same cover. And hence, when we lose the ball, we're not getting it back as quick, exactly what Neil said. However, Alexander-Arnold does deserve a bit of stick because a lot of what they showed tonight, because Neville was trying to give him a, a bit of a, he was on a movements coach and that's all well and good. But the basic one-twos where he's just flat-footed and standing up straight, they're not being counterattacked. That's when they're back in their back line defending them as a unit. And he's, and he's weak and it's the same like he didn't smell the danger when he tried to take it down on his chest in the middle of the park the guy was right behind him like they're smelling the danger and he never does it like we joked about it i think it was the everton game last year where they were attacking and he decided he decides to run off as if ah the lads are going to win it and i'm going to be 20 yards down the pitch he's a defender you'd kill yourself so like he deserves a bit of stick i'm not saying it's all his fault i'm far from it but van dyke fluffed his lines as well he missed the clearance for the third goal the third, yeah. It's very, it's very, very little said because then all of a sudden the pundits start to look stupid because they said he was perfect. You know, that's why they're very quiet about criticism of him because then they have to admit that they're wrong and that's something that the lads don't like to do. So um, there's a bit of Liverpool have stood still and we talked about it. But deep down, look at what I said earlier on about uh, like they were willing to get rid of Sterling, Zinchenko, and Jesus this year. They brought in Alvarez, Haaland, and uh, Sergio Gomez and Calvin Phillips. Like they've given themselves a, a, a different energy. Now, Haaland's on a different planet, let's be honest. But Liverpool went big this year, but they kind of stood still for two years and they kind of had to go big because they were losing a massive player in Manny. And there was, was Nunes a, a bit of a panic? Potentially, because obviously he performed well uh, against Liverpool and had a decent season, but maybe they were thinking, right, um, Haaland's gone, so who's next? 
And then there was rumours of one or two others. Same with Diaz. They were hoping to get him in the summer. And then Spores were after him. So let's get him in. Now, Diaz has proved to be a, a success. Um, but it's just at the same time, when Liverpool were on the up, they what they have, they held. And now it's kind of, it's almost like, right, it's a bit late now. And we might have to wait a year or two before we come good again. So I'm not saying it's over for Klopp, far from it. But I think it's the lack of activity for two years. We're starting to pay for it now. Um, because we're aging at the right same time. There's a lot of 30, 31, 32, and we all know it's it. It's pretty good players, but the legs do go, and they can't cover the way Klopp likes, and it's it's in the stats. Yeah, Fabino, Fabino's 28, Roy. You've got um, Fabino's the youngest, and then you've got Henderson is 32, Tiago's 31. But like, Tiago they're old legs. Let's be honest. Uh, he never had that engine. He's a great yeah. footballer, but he never had that engine the way Liverpool want to play. But you compare you compare you compare Liverpool's midfield. If that's your engine, if that's your best three, which I think most people kind of agree it is, and then obviously you want to blood Elliot and you want to blood Carvalho and them. That's a very old midfield three compared to every other team in the Premier yeah. League. I would say. But that's what they've decided to have, Neil. I mean, they've had yeah. Kaysa, they've had Oxley Chamberlain in there, and um, they have younger lads coming in, as you said. That's that's a choice from Klopp. So. Right. And if you look, if you look back, I, I said this a couple of years ago, and I kind of joking because they've been so successful that you're kind of going, ah, can't be really true. But you look back at, at Klopp's career with the other couple of clubs that he was with, and over that course of time, it did start to fade away that kind of magic, and and you you, can't, you still don't quite believe that that's happening. But now you're starting to question, well, possibly is 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 that it? Is is there a certain length of time to to Klopp's magic? They're after asking a question about Jude Bellingham, just just to counteract what you're saying, and that's exactly it. Klopp either needs to do two things: he either he either walks away, or he rebuilds the team. And the rebuilding the team has to start in the engine room. And I'm like we've been saying it, and I think when I say we, every Liverpool forum that I've been on the last three years since when Aldam left, and in the coming of when Aldam leaving and going down to that last year. There was this worry of who's going to be the next guy to carry the mantle in the middle. Because when Alan was a phenomenon, as far as the amount of games he played and the minutes that he played, yeah. he was just ridiculous. And I, I don't think we have another one of them. Henderson's beginning to creak since probably the start, middle of last year. And Milner is, look, Milner was long finished. He's more there for morale and that type of, you know, model pro. So they've tried a little bit with Harvey Elliott to try bring him through. But that becomes a gamble when it's not paying off. And then they've literally no one other than that. Curtis Jones is young. So you have Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones. Are they going to be the answer? We don't know. They've been touting this thing with Jude Bellingham for 80 million. There's no way Liverpool are spending 80 million on Jude Bellingham. There just is no way. He's priced out of everyone's range, just like Declan Rice is. But they do need to find that next guy, like where Louis Diaz come in for decent money, like the way Salah come in and Mane come in. They just need their statisticians to identify the next 22, 23-year-old that's going to be that next guy. And unfortunately for Liverpool this year, it's going to take a window or two. But I definitely hope Klopp gets a chance to do if, that before he goes. If he is the answer, like, and if they do believe and they put him into their model or whatever they do, they will pay 80 million. They did it for Van Dijk. They've done it for Nunes. Possibly. They've just had a partnership of Coca-Cola. Liverpool are okay. 
COVID, like they're full houses, like they can do it. Like, to be honest, we're almost top heavy up top at the moment. They were talking so, that Bellingham after a World Cup could be up to about 130 million. Well, that's that's the other aspect and that's a different story. And that's, that's the way the World Cup, like, it doesn't normally be mid-season, yeah. but this is what happens after a World Cup. Oh, here's hoping England are shite. <laughs> well, he is, a, he is the type a lot of player to look more ways than one. Yeah, so listen, Dave, Trent, yeah. it just seems you just touched on the England tent. Yeah. Trent to the World Cup. Uh, you look at the, the players he's against, Reese James, uh, Trippier, Walker. For you, does he go? It's a weird one because it's the way they play. I'm surprised he hasn't featured more. The fact that they're, he's a, he'd be a wing back, it's not quite as open and he's three centre-halves there to help with that cover. I think that's the whole point. So it's almost like they were setting it up for him and then they haven't even used him. So in that sense, I'm surprised. And he seems to be quite clear in the fact that he thinks there's better in front of him. So, yeah, I think we could see him out of the World Cup. Um, the way he his last comments, there's this is it now. The next one is the squad. And he gave him little, he gave him no game time. So um, I'm not going to be surprised at this stage. However, with the way they set the team up, I'm surprised he's not at least one of the two or whatever. Like, because obviously Trippier is playing well, even with Newcastle, I'll give him that. And Walker's Kyle Walker, without a shadow of a doubt. And even Reese James. Like, that's serious competition. But the fact that attacking wise and crossing wise, and the fact that the way England play a lot, like, it's made for him, but now he doesn't use him. And this is the one time you can get away with the defensive aspect. The fact that and I think if, if he's playing Walker, he's probably going to play Walker in three at the back anyhow because yeah. he needs yeah. pace back there. And in the Euros, he was phenomenal covering for the other two centre-backs yeah. at times. So I can't see him playing in, in the wing-back or the, or the full-back or position, if, if you want to call it that. So if, if you look at it like this, right, if you're the manager of England, right, and you're thinking to yourself, you're, you're, do you know the way they always sometimes choose between an extra defender and extra wing or something like that? By the end, the way they break it down. If you're playing whatever, Germany, you're playing Argentina, it doesn't really matter. And within 15 minutes ago, you're a goal down. So in other words, Southgate, I think, is very methodical the way he sets out his team. He plays kind of a game of attrition. He doesn't want to concede and he wants to nick one. And he knows he's got the forward players that will nick him a goal. Harry Kane, Sterling, Saka, etc. But plan B, if you know that there's a chance in the last 15, 20 minutes of a game, you're a goal down or two goals down. And you have to be a little bit more plan B now off the front foot. you got to take off one hole in midfielder and you have to kind of go at a team. Surely that's your plan B is to have a guy like Trent come on as a right wing back, not a right back, and give him as much of the ball as he can and let him unleash what he has going forward because he's still their most gifted going forward by a mile. But yet, fair enough, use him sparingly. But as Dave said, judging by what he's done without even giving him a minute or even a platform to say, this is the way I'm going to use you, they're just not going to use him. So therefore, leave him at home. Yeah, I'm I, I'm actually baffled by that as well because I'm not a fan of him as a player, but going forward he's excellent and as a wing back or even or even as a right winger, he would be a really really good player to change the game and and England need that because yeah. th- let's be frank, they're a hugely boring side to watch, you know. Yeah. They're one of the most boring teams to watch, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I I I, I couldn't see why you wouldn't bring him. He's I, I think he's better than Trippier going forward. I think he's better than Reese James going forward. It 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 would make sense for me to bring him, but uh, there you, you go. Think he's still going? 
No, I, I, not by the sounds that are coming yeah. out. It just doesn't sound like it's going to be. Yeah. But if it was me, I'd be bringing him just for that reason and that reason alone. He'd be like mm. your, uh, you know, a, a quarterback that you think, yeah. right, this fella could pull off something here. And, you know, but anyhow, he's not, it probably won't happen. Uh, just before we finish off in Liverpool, Neil, uh, you said there was a great comment from Sunus. Yeah, it, I, I liked it. it Sunus kind of waxed lyrical about his time at Liverpool and, um, he said two things. Number one, he said he felt that Klopp, for the first time, he said, I felt that Klopp is going down the road of uh, Bill Shankly, where he ended up with a very aged squad by his, the last of his tenure, where he allowed guys go from their mid-20s to their late-20s. Now, back then, you probably played your best football 29, 30, maybe 31, and then you were out the door anyway. Your career was a short one. Um, but soon as felt that there was a lot of similarities to what Klopp has done with his midfield and the over-reliance of guys over a number of seasons. The second thing he said was he felt he played his best football of his entire life at age 31 for Liverpool. And then the following season, he was out the door. Yeah, well, maybe that's what Klopp needs to do now. I mean, he has to just be ruthless now and get rid of a couple of players. But again, as you said, they have to identify the players to come in and they haven't been able to do that in the last three years, probably so. That's uh, it, it's definitely a problem for them at the moment. Dave, Spurs yeah. battered at the weekend is probably fair enough because Arsenal have been absolutely excellent. And if you look at Mikel Arteta and the job that he has done, a lot of Arsenal fans weren't happy with him and were looking for him to go. It just shows you what a little bit of time can do for a manager. Yeah, and obviously the right recruitment in the summer as well. Another piece or two of the jigsaw that's not not quite finished yet there's still a piece in somebody's pocket if they can find it i'd say to really be the next best thing to to city but you know they just totally deserve to be at the top of the table uh, one or two people were probably kind of a little bit extra critical against united but they were well in that game and that that game could have easily gone another probably way. on top dave in all exactly. fairness it could it could easily have gone another way so realistically a phenomenal start and a cracking start but like you can see it like even Salib, saliba coming in we've always said straight down the middle arsenal down the spine so saliba's come in now with gabriel and ben white in a few years but he just looks like that year in marseille has been a godsend for him and then obviously the guys in the middle at the minute, Xhaka is like a renaissance man alongside Odegaard and then obviously Jesus. And then you've got the supporting team on either side. That's I think, I think the one of the reasons for Xhaka, Dave, is because Thomas Partey has started to step up to the plate. And he's yeah. Xhaka, yeah. he's not the most mobile, but when mm. he has someone beside him who can cover ground around yeah. him, then he comes into his own there. Absolutely. And that, yeah, so, and once again, he's in the middle as well. So, straight through the middle has been drastically improved this year with two new additions technically and then it's kind of brought the others to life as well with Odegaard there kind of has inspired the lads you've got Martinelli, Saka, Smith Rose not even getting into the side I'm actually ironically going to be at the Emirates because I'm a f-ing madman on Sunday and I'm actually dreading it I'm dreading yeah three or four weeks ago I thought it was the greatest thing ever I'm looking forward to get to see the Emirates you know good Good, decent tussle. Now I'm like, oh, please be okay. I'm, I'm going to be jumping up, but I, unfortunately it's because I have to because I'm in with the Gooners. <laughs> Neil, uh, Spurs are, well, let's just say they're not, they don't play the most amazing football in the world. They are a counter-attacking team. They have uh, good players up front. We know about that. Three or four of Richarlison's in there now getting his, his go at the moment. But, their attacking players are, are, are of, of high quality. 
But the football itself, you wouldn't get too excited about the way Spurs play and they have struggled. Some of the results they've got this year, they've just scraped through. Yeah, a couple of games, Roy, spring to mind and I watched them play Leicester there a couple of weeks ago and Leicester really gave them a good run in the first half and Leicester were on the attacking front but they just didn't probably have the quality that Spurs had up top. But Leicester really gave it a good go. I think they got the two all and then they got blown away. But for that whole entire game, Spurs never came out of their back line. They sat, they sat. And it was really, I'd say it, it echoed the game in the weekend against Arsenal where they sat there so deep in the game where the game passed them by and before they knew it, they were hit with a couple of body blows and then they were out of the game. But Spurs, when I look at them, like you look at Kane, you look at Son, you look at Richarlison now, you know, I, I just think to myself, in any other team, as in, if you, you could put them in City's front three and they'd be electric, they'd be absolutely electric to watch. Like, there's so much more from Son than defending and running towards his own goal that you would want to see. And I was critical of him a couple of weeks back saying that Son is kind of, he has these lulls where you just don't notice him anymore. And then he comes out and he scores a hat trick. But imagine him playing, a, dare I say, for a, a Klopp, if Klopp's Liverpool. Son would be absolutely unbelievable. I think he'd go up a notch. So, where does I doubt? I don't doubt that Conte makes you more, you know, combative and he makes you more organized and he makes you harder to be. But he also takes your attacking flair away and he makes you a very bored inside. The last game in Spurs' home get, uh, ground, they were getting booed at times because they were still sitting so deep and not attacking the opposition. And you can really hear it in that home ground. But it just made me a little bit of food for thought that imagine you had Harry Kane, Richarlison and Son playing for your team. Be it Man United, be it Liverpool, you would unleash them on a defence on every you know available time, keep the ball, keep possession and, and increase the number of times they get the run at the, the defenders. But you just don't see that with Spurs. It's very disappointing. I think, because um, I just had a quick look at the lineup just to refresh myself there, and straight away I went, they're on their own. Like when you look back at when Spurs were really at their best, was when Ericsson was there and he was the midfield option to support them. If you look at it now, it's two holders in Heiberg and Betancourt and then two wing backs. Now, one of them is an ex winger who obviously doesn't quite have the legs anymore. And in Perisic, he was never a defensive guy, the kind of guy. And Emerson Royale obviously didn't last the pitch. But it's like the three of them are on their own. And I think that's why Mora was brought in as well. So you have the two legs to help support Kane. And when it comes off, it looks fantastic. But if you sit deep and stop the counterattack, all of a sudden they're incredibly uh, easy to defend or easier to defend. Well, if you have somebody like an Ericsson in there who can keep giving him the ball, he'll unlock them and find a way because he's a playmaker. So they actually do look a bit isolated. So, as I said, a little bit easier to defend if you are a bit more clever and a bit deeper and say, right, get in behind us if, if we if we perform this deep. Yeah, you need to it's... bring back Deli Ali. He was getting the best out of him. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, and I'll come back to you now in a second, Neil, but Neil, Dave, Neil was saying something a little bit earlier on. Is, is he any different to what Jose Mourinho was doing? But Jose Mourinho didn't really get backed with, with the few players like Conte did. Yeah, like at the moment, like they, they, obviously that was a bad result. So it looks good at, at, up until this weekend. So he had the right results at the right time. And obviously he got him into the Champions League. So he's still kind of on a slightly upper curve. But if all of a sudden this starts a bit of a pattern, they're back to where they were with M Mourinho. And it's like not much has changed. Mm -hmm. um, so let's wait and see. Like 
Arsenal are a decent side and in good form at the moment, but is there a few weaknesses there? Like you look, as I said, you look at that team, and as I said, they're very isolated that front three, and I think they're a little bit easier to defend than say uh, an Erling Haaland, which is obvious, and 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 Jesus, that's for sure. But look at if you if I scroll up to the like you've got Odegaard, Martinelli, Saka, and Jesus. So there's the three, and then you've the playmaker. While Spurs have the three. But well, even at that, Dave, it's different because Arsenal have the ball in the right place for those players and, and Spurs yeah. don't. Yeah, exactly. So they play, well, and as you see, like they're using two wing backs as part of that kind of midfield four where Spurs have four at the back, two sitters, and then the front four. Yeah. So the two sitters, the dogs of war, give it to Odegaard, and Odegaard unlocks the three boys. You know, it's as simple as that. So he doesn't quite have to be as deep. Well, you look at that, Emerson Real of Perisic will become a part of the defence. And then you have the two sitters. So every now and then, when you win that ball on the edge of your box, the lads could be 30, 40 yards away and you're not going to catch up with them. They're just giving... It feels like he's giving them a lot more to do to try and get the best out of those players. It's it's why Harry Kane keeps dropping into the midfield to receive the ball for the last three seasons, even under Mourinho, Mm. because they don't have... Uh, a number 10 is sitting in behind that they can distribute the ball to like a Madison or as we're saying an Odegaard they just don't have it and as a result it, it just becomes very very negative and it, it it limits the amount of attacking opportunities that they have Absolutely Okay Neil we're going to go with you finish off with this one you wanted to put the question out there and I'm delighted to do it Who was your flop of the season so far Neil? I, I debated a little bit over this because I was going to go fairly home because the contrast in Mo Salah from last year to now, he, he's flopping. He's just not doing it. The goals aren't there. I, I'd agree with Dave. I, I still think there's more to come, but he's done nothing this season. The contrast is absolutely humongous to where he was six games into last season compared to this season. But I'm still going to go with Bruno Fernandes. Dave? You get me now, Jay Ling's boy. He is shite and still shite and will always be shy. Jesse Lingard, you're a fraud. And it's fact. <laughs> Ward Prowse and Antonio, <laughs> delighted they didn't make Antonio it. Antonio should retire. Once I have what's the point? What is the point? Well, a good goal from uh, Schmacka, isn't that his name? Uh, at the yeah. weekend, he, he finished that well. And he's actually quite a good player. I was watching him play for Italy the other, uh, last week and yeah. he links the play up very well. So it'll be interesting to see now if Antonio can get himself back in again or is he going to be used as a right winger yeah. or something like that yeah, again? Be some kind of foil for him. But yeah, this guy obviously, I think, has a bit of a better fin- finishing ability. So Antonio's going to have to be a bit of a team player and be the battering ram that he's good at. But uh, the goal scorer, absolutely not. But uh, no, I say that in jest with Lingard. But at the same time, he still hasn't done anything for sport for Forest. They're Didn't struggling it either. Doesn't, yeah, Who's your flop, team. Roy? Did you choose him? Nah, I my, my my flop has always been Jack Grealish. I I just don't see what is about him as a player. But he had his best game. Uh, he probably has had against Manchester United at the weekend, where he decided for the first time in a long, long time to start taking on players. And or give a little one two and get in behind the player, and he hadn't done that before. He'd run at them, torn, pass it back, and um, so if he turns or if it flops so far, as far as I'm concerned, but if he starts turning around and taking players on the way he did against uh Dallow and made Dallow crap himself, basically, I can't see why he couldn't. And maybe this was Pep's doing, maybe it's just a process with him trying to get him back to where he was or give him that confidence to use because he's a he is quick. You know, when you look at him when he's doing those little one-twos, he is quick. He has got good feet. Uh, but 
so far as a Manchester City player, he has been a flop because he hasn't contributed in any way whatsoever. And again, this season. So bar that one game, yeah, he's he's my flop. The jury's out. Uh, Roy, quick fire round for you. Who's the tallest player in the Premier League? Tallest. Tallest player in the Premier League. Dan Bourne. Is it? What, what size? Dan Bourne. Uh, 201 centimetres. Fraser Forster is the same as him. And then Begovic. So they're all goalkeepers. Who is the shortest? You won't get the second shortest. Is it Martinez? Gross? Second no. shortest. No, Martinez. No, he's not actually funny enough. Yeah. Um, Go on, give one like kiss. A midget. It's real obvious when I tell you. Tussard. Gross. Someone from Brighton. <laughs> no. Uh, Ryan Fraser. Oh, yeah. Oh. Tariq Lamptey and Daniel Padence weirdly are all the same size. But here's go. a good yeah, heaviest again. Dan Bourne is in the lead there, but the lightest. Who's the Halland. lightest? Yeah, <laughs> on his toes. I call Holland be one of the heaviest. <laughs> uh, Raheem Sterling is one of the lightest, but you know who is also only two kgs he- uh, heavier than uh, Raheem Sterling. He makes the top five. Fred. No way. Do you think the midfielders would be all oh, stocky so and so? Yeah, but not. there you there go. You know. Yeah, I'm, del- I'm delighted for those stats. I'm delighted for them stats. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're going to leave it there because we've been on 44 minutes and that's enough of us. Dave, thanks very much. Neil, thanks very much. And thank you very much for listening. We're sneaking closer to the World Cup and it's going to be a hectic October. I think there's eight or nine games that we have to get through. First of all, uh, they'll be wrecked. Except for Erling Haaland. He's a little bit of time off. Talk to you next week. <laughs>